0: Hi friends, welcome to the Blunt and Curious podcast. This is Erica and this is Pam and we're learning to be authentic through having real conversations.
1: So please join us for this episode of the Blunt and Curious. Hi friends, welcome to the Blunt and Curious and this episode is going to be a bit different. We had anticipated to do a conversation with three of my friends from growing up and it changed into it's going to end up being a few more episodes than one. So as you journey into this one, as we are sitting and being authentic and learning together, just know this is part one and there's so much more to come and I'm going to let Erica introduce how we're starting it out.
0: Yes, uh, this um, whew, I'm so excited to share this conversation with all of you. I think that we can all learn a lot from it. We're getting into some heavy stuff. And yes, as Pam referenced, we did. Um, we are ending up cutting this conversation into two parts, and there will be more parts to come. Um, but we started out with a card reading. And I know if you've been listening to us for a while, you're familiar with us putting card readings in the episode, sometimes in the beginning, sometimes somewhere else. Um, we do always pull a card regardless of if it ends up in the episode or not, um, but this time we started right out the gate with it. So let's all pause and take a deep breath as we transition into hearing from India, Jamaica, and Travel. Yeah, I like to pull Oracle cards and we kind of do this every time we record, whether we put it on the recording or not. Um, So yeah, so let's see what we have today. Um, I really like this deck because it's gentle and it's not blunt like Tarot is. Um, And while
1: while Erica is pulling one, Y'all all know I grew up in a space of my mama first knew that I was listening to Erica pull cards and she got real scared about my salvation. Even though I didn't claim Christianity, she thought like interacting in this space was like the most dangerous. And I laughed and how it was so like opposite of it and agreed to like have Erica do it. And like we sat down and did cards. And of course the universe is like, I see you, I hear you. I want you to know like the safety and like multiple spiritual rituals. Mary Magdalene was the goddess that came out for my first card pull (laughs) of like of the goddesses. Let's pull a Christian goddess out the deck. And it felt like really being seen. It was like my first introduction even into having trust and space and loving the beauty of just setting the mood of the universe seeing us
0: so i pulled i decided to cut the deck and pull that card and we got diana focused intention um it says keep your unwavering thoughts feelings and actions focused on your target and you will make your mark Mm, i haven't gotten her in a little while i can't remember if she's roman or greek Look
1: her up for us though. So I think that that's a fun one for the setting of moment for today of what are we here for?
0: Yeah. Right. A focused intention. I think our conversation's pretty focused and has some, some really solid intentions behind it. Um, I'll read her message. It says tenacity means sticking to a decision and not allowing outside forces to sway you. Imagine yourself to be like a mighty Oak tree with your roots deeply planted into mother earth. Feel your solid strength and steady upward growth. Know that no matter what happens, you will succeed. Your branches may twist and turn as you flex towards the light, yet your unwavering intentions will ensure that no faint wind will sway you from your mission. Be in charge of your body, your schedule, and your mind, and keep them focused upon your target. Um, And yeah, she is a Roman moon goddess. She carries the silver bow and arrow given to her in childhood by her father, Jupiter. Interesting. So she's like, for listeners, she has long, dark flowing hair. She's wearing this like purple and magenta robe with her silver bow and arrow standing in what looks like, um, what is that called? I can't. Uh, like a uh, gazebo gazebo. yeah Yeah. that's what i'm thinking of yeah we're all with the hand size (laughs) that that building round (laughs) on the top yeah that's that one various meanings stay positive know what your priorities are and take action on them take control of your schedule release all doubts and avoid naysayers and skeptics
2: <laughs>
3: that is my name, life, life, really. Take- yeah, I love that. yeah. Uh, so Diana is with us today. Diana also got an outfit that looks like when uh, Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris were on their inauguration. True. <laughs> you know what? It is a
4: flowy <laughs> purple and little circle. Because you know what else is? So this is what's happening tonight. Meghan Markle is doing her tell-all.
0: Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah, talking about
4: standing your ground, not wavering, and what your opinions are. Don't let, don't be swayed by outside sources. This, we're having a conversation on Black Girl Magic, and essentially not being swayed by outside sources. It all comes full circle. Yes.
0: Cool.
4: Yes. I, yeah. I love this. This is
0: why I love these cards because they always, they know, they know what's up.
1: Uh, and so, yeah,
0: <laughs> that, is our, that is our card energy for the day. So we can uh, move back into introductions, if you would like.
1: And I'll I just, chop and screw. I, I just love that full circle, India. Thank you, because I feel, Erica, you can do with what you please for chop and screwing of introductions, because the reason Erica and I got to get started with the Blunt and Curious together was a part of our own intimacy, a friendship of the real talk, the real shit, the hard shit when it doesn't make sense and realizing not everyone is equipped to have come like real conversations because it's so uncomfortable to sit in that space of discomfort, whether it's our own self-growth, whether it is the pressures of the outside societal world. So for this episode, coming together with folks from all of over of our friendships and space, I don't know, the It feels good. And reading cards like that and having Erica have that space of all of you joining us today, which thank you for blunt and curious this episode today, joining us three of my closest friends from like the longest time of friends. And um, Erica is a gem for allowing space and presence. So thank you for being so quick to get to meet folks. And thank you for everyone that's joining us today and this recording to trust Erica and I to be real and authentic, but we started this and started my journey with cards, my journey with being comfortable with speaking with real, real uncomfortable situations. And so um, with that, I am grateful that today we're gonna talk through what life is like from your voices and not just mine and Erica's. So first and foremost, thank you all. And to do some brief introductions, we have three guests today. Jamaica, my friend from college of, you're the youngest of the babies, I think, Jamaica of friends mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, from college life and then Travel. We started day one, college days together. really weird, really weird place to go to school. I don't know what your school journey was. maybe that's one day a conversation even, but um, going to a Baptist University and very thankful for birthday friend and (laughs) all of the August love but um, and then longest one of my first one of those friends that you meet in life and you're like oh this is what friendship is life this is the stuff that it stretches your boundaries and you go through India I think you know some of the most embarrassing things about me of even though like life like I did lots of shitty things I think you have like up your sleeve the jokes that are the most solidly embarrassing jokes. So, full <laughs> circle, all three of our guests Jamaica, Travel, and India. I um, am so appreciative that you joined us. And I think that if we want to just start with intros, y'all can pick. We started from youngest to longest term of friends in my backwards way. So, however, you want to start and go in for yourselves to get us started today. Jamaica, Travel, India, who wants to go first? <laughs> and Travelle you go. Your
4: voice is her first.
1: Hi. So
2: yes, my name is Travel Robinson. I don't know what else to say. Been black for 30 years now.
1: <laughs> I, I was gonna say, I was like, why why are you actually with us tonight? Travelle, like what made you want to join in on a conversation on the blunt and curious and talk about the real shit so I just think it's I don't know ever since so this is a thing
2: I feel like there's a code that we live by where like, we know what, world, what kind of world we live in. We understand it, but we've never really talked about it. It's kind of been swept under the rug. And within this past year, everything's kind of been at least in my life, like, you know, in this generation I feel like it was talked about when certain things happen and then it's ignored after that. And so I just feel like, no, this is not, I don't know. I don't know what it took. Why last year, all of a sudden it was like we're not gonna ignore this anymore. We're gonna keep talking until change happens so that's 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 why I'm here
1: and I appreciate you for pointing that out because one of the the goals that I had for this was uh, not only a maintaining of a conversation to stay present but also I wanted to hear from my black female friends I wanted to hear what your experience is like why did it take this year what is it what what is keeping the momentum why did it star even and like how that's made you you all feel and so I'm super thankful that you are willing and brave to be a part of it and tell your story thanks so much for that Jamaica
3: am I next I'm next all right my name is Jamaica Brown like Pam said we met in good old ETBU uh, maybe not a ETBU on her porch at an apartment drinking daiquiris as my <laughs> freshman year of college <laughs> at a baptist school. Um, and yeah, I think I'm just here because very similar to what Jabelle said of just a long, long time of hearing the stories, seeing the stories, experiencing the stories. And then finally realizing that hey, I can share these things. Like a lot of people that came before me who experienced these same things and have the same opportunities to share that without significant consequences. And so it is now our time and our chance to voice those things that we don't have to. Be, we don't have to shut up and just listen. You know, like they said to LeBron, shut up and dribble. You know, that's not our jobs are not just to shut up and do our job. Like our jobs to speak up. And I think for me, especially for these last probably five years, um, for this road has really just hit me hard of just like, I am black and everything that I do, I am black and every space that I'm in, I'm black. And if you come to me and you don't see that first and foremost, then we cannot, we can't go any further. And so I think kind of from growing up, a lot of people didn't have a problem with me being black until I started talking about being black. And so mm-hmm. that, that to me is what got me going and there were so many thoughts that kept going through my head that I wanted to write down and write about and journal about and just do all these different things and just too just all over the place and too much going on for me to put pen to paper and so this kind of just gave me that outlet just to come and speak uh with fellow black women about the same thing and just to hear I feel you know, there's a power in voices and in numbers. And I think the more you hear and the more you can kind of um, see those similar things across the board, hopefully the more people will begin to understand and process it all and be like, wow, they aren't making this all up. Oh man, all these black people, all these black mobs are having these conversations with their kids. All these, you know, just all these different things of like, no, you just don't see it on TV and it's just not made up about X, Y, and Z. But if we're all saying we share the same experience and we've only met each other once then there has to be some truth to it so that's i feel like the reason why i'm just here just enjoy wine enjoy some good time talk about (laughs) blackness because i can drink wine and talk black all day long so here for it Uh,
1: seriously thank you for that and i love that both of you so far i hit on different points too because One of the things that I've thought about Jamaica is when I hear people talk about things, the first question I wanna ask them sometimes is like, when's the last time you talked to a black person? That is honest question sometimes of thinking through the way people talk about things or assume certain things, whether it be from the media or their sheltered experience and living in a particular region of the United States or a particular place their whole lives or what have you. I often just wanna go like, when's the last time you listened to somebody else's experience? And so with that, even Erica and I wanted to make sure that we did that, Just like listen to other people's experiences, Story change, storytelling changes the world. And I think that what you said is so real is so many people that, especially so many black women Black women before you didn't get to have their voices seen, heard and be recognized. And just like your shirt, a black woman did it first. Black women are always doing it first. Black women are raising folks. Black women are building things and creating things and sending rockets into space first and creating. It just, it's, I love that. And I'm so thankful for you for being able to speak even when you feel that you didn't know that you could or where you could pen to paper doesn't make sense so we get to use our voices thank you India
4: Okay, my name is India Rose I won't disclose my last name just because it's whack but my name is India Rose um I have known Pam like she said for a very long time since high school days and I know some stories about Pam but Pam also knows some stories about me too and we will not go down that road (laughs) We definitely do not have to go down that road. But, anyways, um, I'm just appreciative. I really appreciate uh, this platform that Pam and Eric are creating. I think it's a great platform. Um, so many things that are being discussed that need to be discussed, necessary conversations, and that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to join in on this conversation because I feel as if many times we talk about, you know, issues, you know, black issues. We talk about highlighting the needs of black people, and oftentimes it's positioned in a way that's almost like a, feti- a fetishization, excuse me, I'm saying that word wrong, but I've had a few gulps of wine, so it's always fetishized, and it's like, it's never, it's always like a sensation, like, oh, poor Black people, this is what happened, this is what civil rights was, and even civil rights has become this, like, glamorous time in American history, and it is not at all, I mean, it's just not, it's, we have to stop watching these, you know, I just, I get sick of seeing civil rights movies where there's also a love story involved in the same thing because oftentimes somebody dies in real life, but in the movie they, you know, live happily ever after. So it's it's disgusting how things are kind of discussed these days, you know? Um, that said, I think that this is a great opportunity to actually discuss the real issues, have the uncomfortable conversations and not without just highlighting black trauma, but also highlighting, you know, black excellence at the same time, because they go hand in hand. Although one thing one thing I did learn, one of my good friends here, I think our, our Jamaica, you said this, you know, black excellence does not exist. It's oh, just, Travelle. I'm sorry, Travell. I apologize. Travelle said this black excellence does not exist. It's just black people doing black things and people call it excellence like Jackie Robinson. Her example, Jackie Robinson was just a baseball player. He was the first black baseball player that doesn't make him excellent per se but it does make him a great baseball player. The fact that he broke the ceiling However, is he the best baseball player? It's a good question to ask, you know. So I think it's I think it's in, important to have conversations like this and to have a space like this where we can have these you know very real discussions. So yeah, I'm excited.
1: Thank you. And and just so everyone else knows, we definitely try to do our homework and make sure that our community of folks that are going to be doing a recording get to meet each other because everyone on this call today have only met each other in one other virtual meeting for a few hours what we thought would be a half an hour call just ended up into a glorious friday evening of goodness of getting able to talk about black experience and black excellence and just even just the excellence of your experiences the hurt the pain all of it and i learned new terms i learned terms that make sense to your lives that I had not known the words for like, I had a description or I knew, or I'd like tried to understand and got to see from conversations, but I didn't know the words that went with it to understand it. And now it's making me even as a professional better to quickly identify what those situations look like. And it's, I feel that post our conversation initially getting ready for today, I thought about the concept of code switching and tokenization so much that it was even brought into a couple of conferences that I attended virtually just since the last time that we had all spoke. And I had not gotten to hear those terms. And so I am so thankful for today and what we're going to get into. And so with that, thank you all for introing us. And I'm going to turn it over to Erica and let her get us started into all the fun depth of today.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. I truly appreciate you welcoming me into this conversation as well, uh, because we haven't met in person. We just met once virtually, um, but these kind of conversations I really want to have. um, And I'm just really grateful that you're all willing to have them with me and with Pam. Um, And so, I mean, I guess, should I just jump right into it? Yeah. All right, let's go. So do you trust white people?
3: <laughs>
0: mm,
1: just, you know, it's, it's, it's I think a, it's, a, yeah, I mean, it's hard, Erica, just like throwing it's out the hard place question. to start.
0: But at the same time, I feel like it's the perfect place to start because
1: two white girls are hosting this, uh, this platform and the blunt and curious wants to have a space for a real life experience. So
0: and as Thanks, the, the new white girl to this group, <laughs> do you trust white people?
4: Um, I will I will quote my mom who once told me and growing up as the only black girl in my friends group because I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. Um, that makes it sound segregated. It wasn't. We just happened to be one of the only black families in the neighborhood. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, growing up, one of the things my mom mentioned to me was India, don't be out here, you cannot do what they're doing. You cannot be out here doing what they're doing because they will turn on you before you turn on them. And they'll stick up for each other before they stick up for you, even if you're in the right and they're in the wrong. So that is something that Mm. I want to tell me, even when I was, I I think I was seven years old when she first told me that. And I was really upset because I was seven and I just wanted to go play Barbies and My Little Pony. And that was it and like do Spice Girls shows. Um, And that was all I wanted to do. It was always Scary Spice, obviously, didn't want to be. I, I resonated with Baby Spice, but that's a different topic.
0: Uh, <laughs> I resonated with Scary Spice, personally, I'm just going to say, but I also couldn't really, <laughs> but anyways.
4: <laughs> so um, that said, I was like, I never really understood it. You know, I never understood why my mom's telling me this, because in my kid, I'm just a kid, but she was preparing me for the very real world, because as it turns out, that's it's so fucking true. It's, it turned Mm -hmm. out to be so fucking true. Unfortunately, it turned out to be very true. Um, So there's a guard that's always up, always a question as to intentions and motives because culturally, I mean, in America this is just how the culture exists and it's not anything that we've made or created or anyone's created. That's just what has been handed down and it's what we have to live through. Um, And so it's how we live. However, saying, do I trust white people? I mean. I've dated a white person. I have white family. There's white people who I do trust. I trust Pam. Pam's a good friend of mine. Um, and then there's other white people who I'm getting to know or I or I know, you know, whatever, through work or whatever, who I make sure I keep my, my guard up, you know, because you, you never want to be in a position where you're getting played. I mean, because it happens so much, far too often. So mm. yeah, that's just my thought on it. So I can't say I don't trust white people. I will say there is a guard that you have up sometimes whenever you or interacting with certain people.
3: Yeah. I will say that I've had a harder time trusting white people here in my older age and not very similar to India of not understanding those things when we were younger of my family also being one of the only two black families in the in our neighborhood and the only house I could ever go to to other black family's house. And I never understood why, because my friend down the street who kept telling me her dog was racist and that her dog didn't like black people, which was code for her parents didn't like black people. But she didn't know that either at seven. Like, you know, she also didn't know that. She's like, my dog is racist. What do you mean dog's are racist? Now, why do you know to say that at seven? But that's what she told me when I moved into this neighborhood. And it was like you said, like they will turn on you. I was I was like probably seven years old And I told this girl, mom told me I can't go in your house. Mom told me I can go in your house. I can play in the front yard where I can be seen, but I can't go in the house. She's like, no, come play Barbies, come play Barbies. And I said, I'm not supposed to go in. I went in, I played Barbies. I looked outside and it was pitch black. And I said, oh shit. And boy, when I tell you, my mother was behind the laundry door with a belt in hand, ready for me to come out from that side after being... Not only out after the streetlights came on, but at this white girl's house, after she told me not to be, was crazy. And from then on out, I was like, wow, this is what I-. and then it makes sense. And then I worked for Toyota just as a receptionist um, after college and had never met this older black lady in my life. Like she was in there. I don't know what she was doing. She did not buy a car. She just came in one day, saw a black girl sitting at the front desk and said, don't trust them. that's like she just said don't trust them she said you can be friends with them you can talk to them you can act like you're friends with them whatever you have to do but make sure you take care of yourself first and i mean i have never seen this woman in my life and she was just like make sure you take care of yourself first because like india said they will turn on you before you turn on them and i think for me it's just you know this thing of discernment what you have to do with everything of who you trust in your life um and I've been betrayed by white people here recently in a way that i never imagined that I would. So that's made it really hard, but I also understand that you need allyships in life to continue to progress. And so um, for me to say, I don't trust them, I think would be a a far stretch, but for me to be more trusting of them than black people is accurate. Like it's gonna take a little bit more for you to like, for me to let you in my life, for you to see the true me as opposed to a black person, you know, as opposed to, cause we are, we already have that mutual like kinship between each other because we go through the same experience. But uh, I, I don't see a reason why I can't trust them. I mean, I think that, you know, as, as a Christian, I was like, I don't know if you can do those two things separately, you know, not love people and trust people in those ways. And so for me, I mean, it just takes a lot of discernment and a lot of just traveling there and just seeing what it does and then if it works out great let's kill this shit together if not you learn you grow and you move on and you figure out what you did wrong and how you let people in and then how you fix it next time and some people have to be the butt of that experience and but it just is what it is so I mean yeah I think ultimately I do it just takes a little longer for me to get there So I'm going to tag on to the whole discernment thing. And wait, I want to add
2: to what you said at the end. You were like, you know, how I don't know how it goes hand in hand, how you can have love without trust. I believe it can go hand in hand because we all have that one uncle or somebody that you love, but you know, you don't never keep your purse out around. Like,
3: I love you. I don't trust you. (laughs) fire my uncle from mowing my yard. You ain't lying. Fire my uncle from mowing my yard. So you're right. You're right. and if my uncle's listening, it's not you, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> but um,
2: that is a question, that is a good question that I, I didn't like, have to sit down and think about. Cause I never would be like, yeah, I trust people. Like, you know, I trust white people. Like I would trust somebody else. Like it's all a matter of discernment. But then I'm like, no, it depends on what I'm trusting you with. Do I trust white people with my blackness? That makes any sense. Like, okay. So we had three deaths, I felt like one month after the other, we had Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Now, after those deaths, I wanted to, I was angry, I was hurt, there was just so many emotions. So in that moment, would I have trusted all of that, I, what I call my blackness with a white person? Um, no. No. It, it like, there's one white person that I realized that I went to and talked to. And it's like, I just, because she has such an important place in my life. I don't even consider, not, not that I don't consider her white. That's not the first thing that I'm going to think of. So I feel comfortable enough to be like, I straight up was like, why do we, why people like this? Blah, 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 just like <laughs> word vomiting. And I felt comfortable enough to do that. But if I thought like thinking of my other white friends, could I be that vulnerable with them? Could I be vulnerable with my other white friends uh, with my blackness? No. No. Do I trust them with other things? Yes. But do I trust them with my blackness? No. Not all the time.
3: I feel I, that. I feel that. Because the other night, I was going through something, and it was just a bunch of crazy stuff. And it was like, I don't know, It's like 1230. And I called Jarelle. <laughs> At night, and I, was like, I just can't talk to white people about this right now. So I'm calling you like it was so late. We voted together work the next day and I got some really close white friends and I just couldn't do it. But I was like, Trail, listen, it's some bullshit. And so absolutely agree.
4: I have to redact a statement I said before. So before, and you don't have to take this out. You can keep this in because I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear about this. Um, before i said sure i guess i could trust white people i've dated white people i have some white family it's all good but that's not true because there's a reason why i seek out a black therapist there's a reason why whenever i'm talking about certain things like i would never talk to my white friends or my white family right. even i wouldn't expect you know i wouldn't put pressure on my white family to address the murders of george floyd and brianna taylor and things like that because you know i'm like a oh, whatever there's there's reasons for that and it's because just like you said Travel, I don't trust them with my blackness. There are, mm. I can trust white people to an extent, but trusting white people with my blackness, that's a very good point you just made. With my blackness, that's a whole different type of trust. Yeah. And I don't necessarily trust white people with my blackness, so no, I don't. In that sense I don't. I just don't. That's just period, point blank. Um, and it's because white people, number one, can't relate to my blackness. I don't care if you married a white man, married a, I mean, married a black man, married a black woman, have black children, until you are walking in black skin, you cannot relate to my blackness and I cannot trust you with that. So I apologize. I can, I can accept and receive your empathy. I can re- accept and receive your thoughtfulness, your position, your ideas. Your I can accept and receive your activism but trusting you with my blackness, I have not gotten to that point where I have been able to trust white people with my blackness, so.
1: Mm. And and to build onto that, and this is a total random thought, and I am so curious of how this even can feel of, I think India back to even when I started at magnet high, and when we got introduced and how our lives like collected paths and everything but if i think back to even my availability from what my family structure looks like or what my family allowed introduction to where the community of magnet in which we were in i knew from my personal life in my mind. I only knew one successful person and that was a a successful black woman. I knew a successful black educated woman. That was the reason I was on a journey to pursue education. However, in an entirely white, very more or less like rich ass white cluster of an environment of what our high school years were, I also know that the way that we grew up of my poorness as a white kid the only way that outsiders saw me is closer to how black communities are viewed and it was so bizarre even for me as who how I grew up in like the space that I was seeing I was just so thankful in like in this weird space because I met this other black woman even as a 14 year old I met this black girl that came from a what in my mind was a proper family and a mama that cared and a mama that did these things. And it's so bizarre of how broken the system has been of just like where I can't imagine there you, how would you ever trust your blackness with anybody? And, and, and I think of that even as the, like, from a white perspective on the other side of your blackness is where I was we were able to bridge a gap even as the outsiders, even as fucking 14 year old ninth graders starting a high school career of my, and that's so bizarre and it just is not even okay. And so I'm just really thankful that all of you pointed that out because I just can't even imagine because I've never seen black. You can't know what blackness is like unless you are walking in black skin. And people that try to speak for that just baffle me any, any day. <laughs> so thank you all for <laughs> what that looks like. And I, Trevel, you made this question even possible. And if I would love to know a specific instance of where this question even came into your life the first time of I think there's some just real heart issues of us getting to learn about some terminology and space of where did you first start thinking about trusting white people because I even as your friend from the outside I think that it's really interesting to see I think I I can tell you when that time happened from like a social experience or just even when we started talking about things of you were having to question that concept of do you trust white people because travel you've always been very trusting very open very loving and gracious when did you first like really like in post all of those things and like after George Floyd lynching and what that looked like and the media when how did that hit you differently and where was that close to home so after I just after all that I was just at the point where I said before I just there was
2: no more sleeping in under the rug and it came from a question I was just venting really to one of my friends and um, she's white and she's done so much work prior to any of this of being um, an anti-racist. Like, so she introduced me to a lot that I didn't know because I'm like, well, you know, and so she was telling me, well, I'm part of this forum um, on on Facebook. And then she's like, well, I've read White Fragility, but I think, you know, would you, cause I was really just questioning the minds of white people at the time and she's like it really helped me understand and so she's like would you want to do that together and then I was like yeah she's like well do you want to do a book club and I was like yeah that sounds awesome so uh we got a book club together and this that question actually came from one of the other ladies in our book club who she was like she's also well she's Italian but she also like she's like I, she's always so grateful. She's like, thank you for having me here. And I'm like, this is all of us. Like, it's not like we like let you in, like, no. But she's like, do you do you trust white people? So that's where that question came from. But I, so that was pretty much the second time that I actually pondered that question. The first time that I really, really, really pondered that question was our freshman year. And I don't know if you remember the clusterfuck that was the presidential election at ETBU in the lobby
1: like do do you remember what happened that night I I avoided all of it because I was in a personal cluster of that election for my religious upbringing because I had a white female pastor with a black associate pastor a black associate female pastor who was the only reason I was at E B U, because she was the first black woman to sit on the alumni executive board at East Texas Baptist University and I didn't know how to fucking handle that first election between white evangelicals so tied to the Republican party without reason to the reality of what we needed to consider and what the power of a black man running for office looked like. And I couldn't handle, I did not, I was that white fragile kid that had no ability at 18 years old of how the fuck to handle that situation. So I was not in the lobby. (laughs) I don't think any of us knew how to handle that because I just was so,
2: I was unprepared for it. I think I had my rose-colored glasses on and I was like, it's going to be like any other, that was the first election that I could vote in. Um, I was, I just turned 18. And so it was exciting for me. Also, I was like, uh, I'm 18 years old and I've never seen, I've never seen a Black candidate. I know that we had just, like we had other people in the past, but I've never experienced it or seen it. And I just remember we had to, like, things got bad to where I just, the energy in the room, I was like, I can't do it. I went up to my room and I watched it on TV in my room because the lobby, it was so heated. People were just yelling at each other back and forth and back and forth. And you felt it. And you're like, this goes beyond politics. Because first of all, I know y'all, I never picked up no kind of government book in your life. It's not about politics. Like, it's not. It's not. (laughs) It was, um, oof, and what happened is so that was that night. The next day, though, I was in English class and it was me and one other black girl in that class. And I just remember once again, the energy was bad and people were talking about it. And I was like, mind your business, Travel, write your little English essay, whatever. And it just kept going and it kept going. And you know what? Now that I think about who it was, I still speak to them till this day. Um, yeah, Did, I haven't thought about that since then, but I'm like, hmm. Anyways, so I got up, cause I was just done. I got up from my class and I just like, the teacher's like, are y'all right? And I was like, no. And I started bawling in the bathroom. And then another girl, the other, the other black girl came in and after me, and we were just bawling together. And it's like, we didn't say anything, but you just know. And so a, a lady comes in and I'm about to tear up right now. Um, she's like some faculty member that I've never met in my life, but she was, um, she came in the restroom and she's like, are you girls okay? And at that moment, it's really weird, but I felt like you're, you're somebody I could trust with this. So I just kind of, I trust her with my blackness in that moment. And I think it's because I was just vulnerable and upset and angry. And I just, I didn't know how to deal with this because the people that like people that I'm supposed to like, and I'm supposed to love, like y'all are my friends. Why are you talking like this? So, um, Anyway, so I trusted her with it. I spoke to her and she just gave us hugs and, you know, and told us like, cool, don't go back to class until you feel you're ready and all that jazz. So we were there, we cleaned up our face and we went back to class, I think, or maybe I left. I can't even remember, but yeah. And so it was weird. There was so much that was unspoken and
1: unsaid.
2: And I really have never talked about that since then.
1: (laughs) No, that is, that is totally okay. And thank you for being willing to be emotional in that because I can't imagine when I look back on that space and I think about some of the things that even the three of you have, uh, even if it, it, maybe it's mem- remembered, maybe it's not, but I think back to those the- seasons of I'm not blameless. I'm not blameless in those spaces of the shit that I needed to unlearn and what that looks like and I and I constantly go back to that and thinking about my relationship with India and for what how gross of my disconnect with even my own humanity to then other like humanity and so just knowing the harshness of that I can't even imagine but I think of that moment of what you're talking about in that space of your life and holy hell that was over 10 years ago now of what that election was and I don't want to know how I even felt then of beyond the fact that I know that is something I had to learn beyond too. So thank you for at least like opening up of how that question came about. And I am very thankful that there's white people out there that are asking that question to understand what that looks like, because there's so many stories. And I think that there's so many white people that need to understand y'all like, listen to other people's experiences, listen to other people's lives. And it's, there's things that we can't know and nobody's asking white people to apologize for being white but it's just like you need to recognize you don't understand or you don't get a moment or to pause for a second when there needs to be space for someone else. Jamaica, when was the first time that you ever thought about whether or not you trusted white people?
3: Fucking Emily Lassiter when she told me her dog was racist. I don't know. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I think I I agree. I think I'm gonna date myself here and you too, Travell. When it comes to this election, I, <laughs> I was a freshman in high school when the election came out, and um, freshman in high school. My brother was a junior, and this is before Jay got real Jay animated. He was very quiet. He was so meek, and he just was he didn't say a word. And you heard me correct anyways um but I was in high school and I printed out all these pictures of Barack Obama and black and white from the library and their family the first family and I just put them everywhere around the school I mean I was printing out 50 I'm putting on everybody's lockers put them on I mean everywhere I was pissing and at the moment I didn't realize what I was doing because I thought I thought it was funny and until I have an aunt that passed away probably about five six years ago was the first black justice of peace in our county and um she got into so many heated arguments with friends who I was class I was classmates with their kids about Barack Obama and it was just kind of like okay like what are some of the policies and stuff that you don't agree with as opposed um to x y and z you know and um and this, that, or whatever. And they couldn't they couldn't give us anything. Like they, they couldn't, outside of abortion, which we continue to keep saying over and over the same type of disagreement, they couldn't say anything. They couldn't say anything about his family. They couldn't say anything about his past besides like birth certificates. And uh, he has a Muslim name, which why should that matter anyways? Um, and all these different things. And I, there is this kid in my class that said if Barack Obama came to Fairfield, I would shoot him. Like that's what came out of his mouth. And I said, and I told him, I said, you can't say that. Like that, that, that's a threat against the president. Like you you cannot, li- legally you cannot say that we're in Fairfield, so whatever. And uh, And I think that election is what really brought it out because that time, I think that time is emotional for a lot of black people whether you agree with him politically or not, like just to see him, ma- because why in the hell does it matter that he had one baby mama and he was married and, and he had a, a degree and all this stuff didn't matter. Like you just saw excellence and you got to see yourself in that. And I remember like, nope, like a lot of people can't tell me what they recall on that day, what they were doing. I was a freshman in high school, had a bedtime and me and my mother sat up in bed all night and watched that happen because my great-grandmother was still alive, died. Travail. <laughs> remember when my grandma died? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, grand- my great-grandmother was still alive and uh, and just, she died at 93. She was born in 1925. And just to see her, like just I mean, beam and buy bobbleheads and plates and blankets and I I mean she was making donations. She I mean she just was. It, it was it was just something just so powerful about that time, but also so frightening about that time, especially in the neighborhood that I lived in and in the, in the school that I went to that you wanted to be so proud, but you weren't even allowed to be proud anymore. Like you just, you, you were like, oh my gosh, this is like, you had a moment. You had this, in this greatness of history, we had this little moment that we could celebrate and then boom, like it was just all taken away from us. And I think in those moments is when I first started to see like, damn, like this is two different worlds because that's all I was in was whiteness. I didn't I didn't know any different, and so I, I didn't understand all these things people were telling me all these times and still didn't at the time. And I, I just, I was a very animated kid and I would sing Obama chants and put Obama in any book report that I could and all of this stuff like that. And I would try to make people feel so uncomfortable that it, it was just crazy. And, but it still, it was like that was like my coping mechanism because it was just being hit back in my face over and over and over again. And no one could tell me the reason why. And and I think that those moments were it. Like, the, his, first, his first election just really, I mean, it brought out, it, it was almost as crazy as these last four years, like when that happened in Fairfield. And thank God social media wasn't as big as it was now because I believe it would have looked like what it looked like if it was like that when Barack Obama first ran. Because to this day, I mean, I have former teachers who, uh, who somebody shared this thing on Facebook today about why does Michelle Obama go to a gynecologist when she's not a woman? And like, I mean, that ripped Michelle Obama apart, like just all of that. And so just all of that really, my freshman year of high school, I think that the same thing for me when I saw that was just like, damn, like we are, I am living in two different <laughs> worlds right now. This is wild. And I was like, this is what they've been telling me. And it was just, poof it was it was real
1: oh, i can't even imagine india i do not want to negate any of like your personal experience of you are from shreveport louisiana area of like i know other side of the river uh, but i am so curious because of our generational like spaces what was it like to go to an HBCU during election time, because I'm like, can we talk about some black goodness or like what that looks like? Because
4: I and I apologize, Travelle, sis, I hear you and I honor your experience that you had at that time because I can't imagine what that trauma must have feel like and what it must be like to still carry that because it clearly, it still affects you and as it should, because it's trauma. And um, I apologize for it, not that it's my trauma to apologize for, but I apologize for it because it's not anything that you should ever have to carry. And I I really hope that you can get to a place where it's something you never have to carry anymore. But um, I went to an HBCU, so when Obama won, (laughs)
1: It was a can we can, different... can we talk about that for a second? Of like, <laughs> it was a much to... different
4: experience. 2008 so, was a much different experience. So, okay. travel
1: in Jamaica to give you an experience, to give you a space of like how India and I met before she goes into HBCU. So, our high school looked like what HBU looked like. So, India and I went to a high school of probably 1,200 ish students, um, give or take, and it was predominantly white there were less than 260 Black students amongst those 1,200. And um, so, which is basically kind of like the percentages of ETBU. So what Indian Eyes enter and and Magnet was in the hood of Shreveport. Like y'all both know what downtown Shreveport looks like. And so like when you're driving down Clyde Fant past the casinos, there's this like place called Stoner Avenue and it's the first exit right past the casinos in the, that's where magnet was, but again, I'm just painting that picture because HBU was similarly this like predominantly think- white school, and so I will yeah. say this: magnet
4: existed. We, and this is just me. I personally had a great high school experience, and I always say it's because I did. I I loved high school. Like I was, I think I'm one of the few people who actually, even though high school was like shit in some aspects, um, but in many ways, I loved high school. And I think it was because it was a safe space, like the Black people plus Pam existed in our own little world. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it was it was just a great time. <laughs> but, um, <The> plus Pam. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and and within the Black community, I imagine there were different cliques within the Black groups and friends or whatever. But yeah, it was. It, and it was definitely definitely didn't come without its tensions racially and class tensions and things like that. But nevertheless, I mean, that's, that's high school, right? Um, but different- sorry for, sorry
1: for the derail, but I just <laughs> wanted to paint that picture of like, what the interview yeah. experience experienced during the election was very similar to like us coming out of high school to then like, I'm so curious of the yeah. beauty of an HBCU.
4: <laughs> so we have this thing in, the, in our- I was a freshman, so when Obama won, I was a freshman, so I was living on campus in the dorms. And the dorms at Southern Southern University at Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Southern University, A&M, agricultural, you know what I'm saying? Um, so at Baton Rouge, we have this thing uh, called the circle. So it's a cul-de-sac of dorms and we call it the circle because in the circle, there's like always parties. People like on a regular Tuesday night, will just go out in the circle and out, out of nowhere, there's like, you know, over 70 people in the circle just hanging out, it's fun, just on a regular weekday night. Um, and then after about you know, 11 o'clock, the campus police, they come, they tell everybody to go inside the dorms, because curfew, whatever, you know, whatever. The night Obama won, people were running, literally, people were running out of their dorms in their underwear, just because they not even, not even just on purpose, just because they, they were, we were all so shocked and so happy. I was. I remember. I was in my dorm room. And I was doing homework, and my roommate looked up. We had CNN on, and my roommate looked up, and she goes, "India, he won." I said, "What?" And she's like, "He won." And next thing we know, we heard we heard um, cars honking, we heard bells ringing. Somebody set off the fire alarm in the dorms, like all of them. Like it was just an amazing time. And so we were out in the circle. Everybody was drinking. Campus police wasn't stopping anybody. I believe campus police was also drinking. Um, at this time, I was still very, very innocent, and I didn't know what weed smelled like. So I thought that they, we had a skunk problem on our campus. I really thought that there was a skunk problem, and I and this is why I was just like I would walk around campus, and like oh my god, we gotta do something about these skunks. Anyways, skunks were everywhere. Nobody was saying anything. It was just a beautiful time. <laughs> um, and then it was a beautiful time, and we were like out for the entire night. They canceled class. Most well, not most most teachers canceled class for the whole week because also at this time, wait, no, this was a different time. Anyways, the different same year, different time. Anyways, but they canceled class pretty much for the whole week. Most teachers were like just canceling class because it w- we were all still celebrating. It was a beautiful moment. Um, however, just over the river at LSU, it was a much different tone. They had a mandatory curfew because things got way tense. I didn't, I had a friend who went to LSU at the time. Um, and I just heard like her, the Black Students' Union, they were like, they were sheltering inside of their Black Students' Union. Like they were sheltering because they were scared. Um, so it was, uh, it was a very different experience at HBCU. It was so celebratory. And I'm, I can't think of a better place to have been at the time that Barack Obama won because it was just such a beautiful time. But to piggyback, I, was, <sighs> I know, Pam, your original question was, when is the time you first realized you couldn't trust white people? And there's many times in my life where I first realized this and I'm just quickly going to run through the list.
1: (laughs) Yes, please.
4: I love a good list. So let's see. First was I was in first grade and I was um, in line to get water after recess. Well, I was in between two boys, two white boys and one of them wanted to stand the one behind me wanted to stand with his friend in front of me and so he asked me to trade places with him which would put me farther back in line so i said no i'm not moving and to his friend he looked around and he looked around his friend he's like black people are stupid aren't they and that was his that was one of the first time that i'm like hmm well that got a reaction i and for whatever reason subconsciously i didn't even realize that i that what i had done like i like standing on my ground i didn't even I realized that that's what I was doing at that time, but I felt good about it. I wasn't offended at what he had just said. I felt more proud of what I had not moving than feeling offended at what he had said. And I was in first grade. Um, number two, that <laughs> um, I think uh, Jamaica, you touched on this about not being able, or was it Trav? I'm sorry, I can't remember who said this, but I know it was said. Um, not being able to spend the night at white people's houses. Well, I had every, every <laughs> night, I was not allowed to spend the night at white people's houses unless it was a birthday party. And unless it was two people, there was only two people as a child who I was able to spend the night at their houses. One time they wanted to go TP people's houses. And I was terrified because I knew it was breaking the law. And I was the only black girl. I'd be the only black girl breaking the law with them. And I had my first anxiety attack, but I didn't know if that's what it was at the time because I didn't know. But I had an anxiety attack and they were like, okay, well, and you just stay here at the house and we're going to go TP people's houses. Like her mom was taking the girls out to go TP one house, you know, but it was, it was her, like her aunt's house. So it was like, it was innocent enough. It was a girl's aunt, you know, whatever. But I was terrified because it was breaking the law and I was afraid they would put it all on me, you know, as the only black kid there. But anyways, um, girl scout trip we were in a girl scout car we were caravanning out on a girl scout trip and i was in the car there's a car that speeds past us on the freeway and the white girl who was riding in the car with me she goes i bet they're black and i was like well shit how do you know anyways that was another instance um and pam you remember this in high school when cedric glover became mayor of Shreveport now I would now, Barack Obama winning presidency was one thing. I was in an HBCU, so it was great. But in high school, Pam and I, we both lived this, Cedric Glover becoming the first black mayor of Shreveport. That caused so much tension. The teachers were pissed off. The students were like all the rich white kids that we went to high school with. My parents said, we're moving to Bossier next year because we're not staying here because Cedric Glover is mayor. Like it was, it, was, it was very tense for a very long time. And Pam, I, I know
1: you can speak to that too. I, I was just thinking even to that, that's scary. That's one of those moments of like, I don't want to know what my dumb ass said at, at that point in time of life and not having a brain for myself. Um, <laughs> to then I have a question for you about just like the trusting white people and sleeping over at white people's houses or whatever we never slept over at one another's houses growing up. I'm pretty sure the first time that we ever got to stay a whole night together was when I stayed with you in Jersey City. And that mm-hmm. was-
4: I stay, or was, was that a sleepover? The birthday party where you had that really pretty cake that was like pink fondant with the polka dots on it.
1: I'll never forget that My cake. My 16th birthday. Was that My a sleepover? 16th birthday. No. Okay, so now no. We did- Kathy came with Kathy came with because it was in morning sport. And it was like a whole family affair for my sixteenth birthday. But I'm like, we never got to stay at each other's house because my mom didn't let me stay at people's houses whose mamas and daddies wouldn't let them stay with me. And it was a whole thing. But then like, Kathy knew the secrets because my family was like weird as fuck. And like I was like, no, don't do it. Like, I need to come to your house for safety.
4: (laughs) There's two reasons why I didn't why nobody was allowed to stay at my house, especially in high school, because Kathy had done something a little bit illegal. Because I lived in Bozier. I lived outside of the school district. So she put my address at a different house. So I mean, I'm saying this now and it's still illegal to this day. So if if Magnum (laughs) wants to take away my diploma, then fuck it I don't care I ain't like- can I just say
0: my mother did this as well to my yeah. brother my senior his senior year of high school she moved to a different town and everyone knew where we lived we lived in the same house on the one main road in the town for like our whole childhood right and she got away with it for months and then oh it's okay your house like I saw fire trucks my brother was just like no we don't live there anymore and like because he didn't know the whole like scam was going down yeah he got himself busted my mom basically had to go to the principal and beg and was like please he's almost done like please
1: just let him stay here but anyways I just had to yeah. like because I know um, that but, that's things- a- <laughs> yeah. but things that like India's mom wouldn't have been able to do because like they already struggle with keeping black kids at our school and it was a whole right. mood and it was like Kathy was like on lock like there was no playing with it there was she was at school on time you were ne- she was never late to pick you up or drop you off like, oh no she not, yeah, yeah knew what she was right
0: but you also you have- probably already knew what you were doing too my
1: brother is just
0: like <laughs> oh no nothing Yeah, no I
4: knew I knew very very like I mama had it on lock I would have gotten my ass beat if I said anything about me living in Shreveport as a matter of fact senior Rose you like you remember Mr. Rose Spanish teacher you didn't take him because I know you took Latin which is a different story story. but anyway (laughs) (laughs) senior Rose actually lived we found out that he lived like he was in our same neighborhood same subdivision and so we would see him like one day this happened like for maybe three days out of a week, we kept leaving at the same exact time. So we'd go over the bridge at the same time. We would arrive at the school at the same time. And we were like, oh my God, mom was like, oh my God, he's gonna find out. So for a whole week, mama left the house. She made us start leaving the house 30 minutes earlier just to detour around, like instead of going over the bridge, we went over a different bridge and detoured all the way around like 30 minutes earlier just so that we wouldn't get caught. And this became our new routine like every single morning because she was serious about me not having to go to school in Bozier City because Bozier City school system is
1: kind of shit but it is and I thank you for derailing with me I just wanted to point that out of just the difference of like space of trusting folks and I think it's funny that we were the closest friends, even when we weren't like talking every day through high school and stuff and I think it's beautiful for the portrayal of our adult friendship even there was a comfort there was a comfort in the shit seasons and the heart and we always knew we always knew but we never got to experience that life of and it's like across the other side
4: (laughs) yeah no and and what you the thing that you just said that there was a comfort and so the reason why I listed all of those experiences oh and I have one more my last one was Barack Obama walking at his inauguration because I was terrified to watch me michelle walk down the street at their inauguration i think my heart stopped with every step they took but anyways that wasn't a direct experience i had but nevertheless i realized it and the reason why i listed all these experiences is because being black made those experiences different for me it made each of it, the 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 um common denominator between all of those experiences was being black and the effect that the the realization that white people could turn this thing in a whole different way and they had the power to do it because of white privilege and because of the system and society that we live in and because you know just having black skin you're going to be you know targeted thought about looked at differently in each of these experience in each of these scenarios and that's the reason why I listed all of them out so those are the times that i was hyper aware of my black
1: skin and I feel I feel that it may be wrong. I'm gonna piggyback off of thinking of President Barack Obama because forever he is my president. Forever, um he, president. He is, same. forever. <laughs> first one um, I ever voted but, for. <laughs> I never will forget the tragic sadness of being 18 years old, first time being able to vote. And my mama had taught me, even though Christianity and the white Christianity that I grew up in confuse my identity my memo taught me that we were democrats from start to finish and that's just all the way that it would always be and it was very awkward as white christian women tried to steer the other direction whole mood but it brings me to two of the terms that i one i am very familiar with as a queer woman it's too often used the other one i never heard before that I want to go into that I'm, I'm. when did it come in even to play before the President Barack Obama came into office because I think that's when a lot of folks started becoming more aware of the terminology, thinking of tokenization and being the token Black one and code switching because every one of you, and talking about this, of the first experience of not trusting what, or thinking of when you didn't trust white people or what that looked like, and it goes back to the election of President Barack Obama, and I think about both of those words. One, token black man. We'll leave that one there, we can come back to it. But then to code switching. It was never public figure of acceptance or realization that white people had to accept it, that Barack looked like the intelligent the educated checked the right boxes and he was living on that other side and like had the like things of this like allusion to maybe and they still didn't get it and so I think of code switching of even how no matter how much people try to fit you always show up black And you're always the token. And so I want to go into those terms and whoever wants to start with both of them, because I think that that's heavy and weird. But it's just interesting that when we went from the not trusting white folks and thinking about the election and then thinking about the president, Barack Obama being the token black man, and he looked like the white dudes, but they weren't even seeing that for what the United States of America like called those buckets.
3: Yeah, it was like, it was almost like he can't be black because he looks too white what the fuck does that mean like i i don't understand but if you have not read the promised land i highly advise it it is on audible it's on amazon he had a good discount going on that's a little plug for uncle barry um but uh (laughs) there's just a little plug there but i think even uh i think for me with all of that is the whole i I didn't even know I was code switching because it was always like like with barack it was like jamaica you talk so white like Mm-hmm. You, you talk white and I and for a moment like for I think until I got to college I completely I t- called myself the token I was so whitewashed yeah. in my own self in my own school I called my own self the token like how messed up that is is beyond me that I would even consider my own self that because that's what they called me and I talked white. why you're making your oreo and this that or whatever and they would always pick me to be the leaders of the youth groups because diversity wins you know all that shit so I think for me it was always like this thing of like like code switching for me was always I, I was the same person when I was with everybody but my my comfort changed depending on who I was with when I was with my black friends I could talk about anything I could I, I mean, that, and it's still kind of how things are today with uh, you having to know, like, if I asked you, Pam, Erica, you might, either one of you might have watched it, but have you ever you watched Living Single, the show Living Single?
1: Yes, and I just introduced Justin a couple of months ago, but it's on Amazon Prime, and he was like, what is this, and
3: why did I never see it? Like, watching
1: Living Single,
3: a lot of Black people have watched Living Single, uh, white people have not watched Living Single, but... Almost all black people know if they have not watched Friends, know what Friends is. So therefore they, they were the same show. They were the exact same show. Living Single was first. Shout out to Queen Latifa before everybody knew she was Queen Latifa. And and then you had friends, like and, and then they were like, Oh, this show friends, and they put them on, still put them on t-shirts and shit now. And it's like the most people love friends, and if you go from make a
1: can we can we plug something right there real quick so I have a mama my mom my mama is one of our like faithful listeners and she's so excited for this because she loves all of y'all and has like funny stories for each and every one of you. Erica's the only one that she hasn't met in person actually. But my mom being this human that grew up in the late 80s, early 90s as a young adult cuz I was mom was 20 when she had me. But we were poor as fuck. But Reality, Living Single was on regular. <laughs> a get a channel because we watched Living Single and Martin and <laughs> Living in Color. Because <laughs> nobody even color. Color knows what Living in Color is. And I'm like, how do you not know? Because those are mom's like go to shows. I never watched Friends. I still to this day have seen episodes with That's that thing when I'm at people's houses or whatever. I've never watched Friends. I've seen all of Martin, all of Living in Color. And like, <laughs> like- I have like- I have a
0: question slash thought. Is programming different based on where you are for mm-hmm. those channels? I, I think antenna channels. I think because I'm I thinking think- back or- to like what was what was always playing for me, right? On like the main channels. And it was more like everybody loves Raymond, friends. And stuff like that. I'm just.
3: I think I don't know, those that's channels. Just yeah, I think those channels were still there, like because like every everybody's loves and the only reason why I remember this because my grandpa said <laughs> Gene Brown and all his greatness said, "Why does everybody love Raymond and everybody hate Chris?" <laughs> 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 that's the only reason why. I remember oh, Chris. Gosh.
0: I'm just Jeez. like having that thought because I know everyone has their own like CBS, their own NBC, and whatever, right? So there's like your local programming. I don't know. That's just I'm what my gonna, thought is. And I'm thinking gonna, about like I'm what gonna, I. I'm gonna just
4: try to answer this for you
0: because yeah my opinion
4: and you guys correct me if i'm wrong
0: and this could totally be an ignorant question i'm no
4: it's not it's not an ignorant question i think it's just our households i mean Mm -hmm. because kathy ain't play ain't pay for no extra type of cable so living single living color all that was on our regular scheduled programming cable television shows anything extra that may have came on we didn't have it so you know we had stations that played friends and everybody loves raymond and and oh and in Seinfeld. I've never in my life seen a goddamn episode of Seinfeld.
3: No, I
0: love Seinfeld. Sure. Cool. So cool. I do too, but I wasn't gonna. No, a... <laughs> <You> see,
4: no <laughs> so, so I have seen every episode like Sam said so, of Martin, mm-hmm. Living color, Living single. I used to hey, sit in my brother, house, do the this. dance. I'm, I'm still thinking. Like, what? Put your hands up. That's right. That was me every day in my living room. <laughs>
1: so, Erica. Erica, I think you make a really good point because I'm just saying because like my
0: dad my dad also did just we just had antenna at my dad's house and I remember it was like we had six eight and 13 those were the three channels it was the news and whatever would play and I don't remember seeing a lot of other things but then again you know it could just I think, be I
3: think and I think the main part of that is that black people still have to, had to to interact with people at school and to interact with people in the community, we still did not know those things existed, right? So like, I never watched them until we got, we got satellite, but I I knew those things existed solely from white people at my school.
2: Yeah, I get that.
3: And so it was more so of that. I I can't tell you we had the channel or not because I mean, I, I think we did because my parents got satellite very, when we moved into the, you had to get it when you moved into the white neighborhood so we we had it and so um but at my grandparents house we didn't but I always knew in those spaces even till today I mean even today kids can't tell me they be interacting being a coach and listen to the black kids talk and the white kids talk it's still the same thing of the black kids talking about watching Friday and the black kids talking about watching xyz but or or even hearing like um Taraji P. Henson saying that on Benjamin Button she ultimately made $40,000 you know and she had thought she had made it and all of a sudden she ended up only making $40,000 for that movie and just Taraji P. Henson and being in Baby Boy being like I hate you Jody, and then they're being like oh Taraji P. Henson and this glamorous being cookie now like the only people that some people remember Taraji P. Henson is as being cookie and empire we remember Taraji being you know I remember Carrie Hilson being and, uh, was she gonna say the last dance?
1: Uh, not know, yes. no, yes.
0: no not Carrie Washington. I was like, Carrie Hilton, like, Hilton.
1: acting? Like, yeah. Like, Kere. Kere. Like, Kere. So, Jamaica, so Jamaica, I I wanted to, I was like thinking about that. So, I think that channels have a lot to do with it. I think that it also is like what communities that you're in, right, who you're listening to, and like what people are watching. And that's where I, it's fun talking to my mom about this today. And now for my mom, like having to own some of like her own ickiness and like the ickiness that we lived in and accepted. But I think about the things that she introduced me to because of the communities that we lived amongst or the people that we respected the most. And it, and it goes back to black women so often And so I I don't know what was on cable network or wasn't what on satellite, because we definitely never paid for extra, but like, whose house were you at? Like, what are those shows on? How did we get them?
3: I think it just went back to like the code switching part of, I could code switch and still talk about those things you know, and so, or that right. I had to engage in conversation with things that I weren't too familiar with or my family wasn't too familiar with, but I had to, to keep on going. Like I had to still be familiar. I had to look it up or think that I knew to, talk, to engage in conversation just at school, you know, or to, to be, to get a job. I had to look up stuff to like, that I, which I think everybody does to get a job. You know, you fake stuff, you say, you know this, you know that, but every day you went to school, every day you go into work, it was, I had to switch from what I could talk about with my family and my Black friends and what I could talk about in white spaces. And so like between, and I think tokenism goes in that of, of code switching because you you were the token, like you were supposed to be that, that Black friend, that Black statue, you know? And so it was just like, I had to be that thing for, Black people had to be that Blackness for this whole Group of whiteness, but I also had to be white as well.
1: You know. Like I was going to say, did you ever get to be black in that space? No, so even though that you were the token black kid, because you mentioned that. And I think that this is a fun place, and I would love, like, for you to go into this Jamaican here from Indian travel also on this train of thought of you were the token black kid for the youth group. Token black kid selected. I just think even at like even when we we're in college, oh, your yeah, name absolutely. was always a thing. Like you were this, that, or the other. You're the token black kid, but were you always like switched over into this coat, like this whiteness? Because were you ever fully get? Did you ever fully get to be black in the spaces that you're tokenized as a black and girl? I, I think I I, I was I did and I didn't realize that I was not being
3: allowed to be black until, like I said earlier, that I started talking about that I was black and I realized that I wasn't ever given an opportunity to do it because they were so comfortable in me being that token and making them feel comfortable that they didn't ask me x y and z about my life you know they were fine with me being a part of them and even so a girl reached out to me a couple years ago and was like speaking of me at ETBU and that's kind of when it hit me too probably I think it's about two years ago maybe last year even a girl reached out she's like this is not the Jamaica I knew at ETBU this was You were a person I looked up to. You were a role model. This, how dare you speak like that? And I said, you didn't know me. Like Mm -hmm. you did not know me. My friends knew me. You saw me in this. I mean, in for India and Erica, ETBU was twelve hundred students at a college. You know, so it was real small. And I worked for the basketball team. I was in the BSM. So I kind of like had this cross connection with a lot of different people. And I just talked to anybody. So it was easy. I just, we'll talk to people. Well,
1: you, you did the intersectionality of it in an interesting way. As we're talking about code switching and like you even mentioned earlier in talking about you talked white or you weren't black enough in this situation or another, you were more white girl or whatever. Yeah, It's so interesting of how you did that intersectionality of the white christian university with the bsm to then also playing and like managing the basketball team and doing like working for them because everybody knows from an etu standpoint the most of where black students existed was within our sports program right and <laughs> that was and that was just like etu trap we won't even have to go into that but it's so interesting for that intersectionality when you think about that of you did like you had both sides I thought, of space. I thought
3: I had I was that person who thought I had to like go in those spaces to make them accept everything out here instead of being like no, no 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 you can come in my space and accept it and I don't think I don't think I realized that because I was still trying to make people accept me for like I knew who I was in my blackness by the time I got probably my sophomore year of college, but it's still, I was still trying to force myself to be like, well, maybe if they accept me and I'm black, and maybe if I can get them to come here, then I can get them to, if I go there and meet them where they are, then maybe they can meet me where I am. And it never happened until I actually started to be like, this, this is who I am. And so it was in all those spaces and, and, and still to this day, when I go to work every day that you just it's just a natural thing that just happens and I don't realize that it happens anymore I mean I know that I'm talking to you in a different way than I talk to people at work which everybody has their professional voice but even if I was on the phone with a white friend right now it would sound pretty probably different just because I'm trying I think black people ultimately still try to make white people feel comfortable like as much as we don't really try to we don't want to it's almost like ingrained in me to still try to make that happen and it's frustrating for me but just is what it is and so i don't ah
1: i was gonna say travel why why is it what it is why what is this tokenization but you still even as a token black kid have to like be in this code switching why is it what it is but how you you go
2: Oh. <laughs> I, have been, I have two things that I that I like two main points and y'all remind me because I get off because I forget so remind me about Christina I want to go over Christina and then I'm gonna hit this point so I have been reading stamped I'm still not finished with it but and I'm gonna say his name the way that it is because it's French um but W E V Dubois I'm tired of learning Dubois it is Dubois okay Dubois. if anybody's listening to this and y'all speak French tell me if that's right or not because I don't know. <laughs>
1: The Louisiana girls on this call, India. I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like I appreciate it. We co sign, it is French Canadian no up more. here. Yes,
3: good like, No we, more Du Bois. I've
1: been saying the boys
3: so I appreciate that. We know you, country. It's okay. <laughs> you know that boy's a
2: boy. Du Bois. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But he was big on, it, like, he entitled it Uplift Suasion, which is basically saying like, okay, Black people, in order to get, in order for white people to see us as equals, we have to become them. So that's where the Black excellence comes in. So everything that you, I see flashing lights now, what's happening outside? Um, (laughs) So anything that that you do you have to be the best like that saying like you know you've got to work twice as hard for half as much we've all heard it but you have to be the best at this so you're going to do this you have to be the best that way you could show them that you are like them therefore they are not going to be as afraid of you that was his first standing that was his like at the beginning half of his life and then he's like no this is bullshit because prime example who does Tom Brady play for now I am not a sports person Tampa Bay and they just won, right? Who's the owner of that team? Okay, well, all I know is, I, I haven't looked this up, so y'all need to check this. We need to Google it later. But the owner of the team is a black man. So they go, black man comes out on the field to celebrate when they won and gets stopped. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, what you've accomplished, how far you've gone, you could be the best of the best. I own this damn field and the team, but I'm still going
3: to be a nigger. That's the same thing they did to Steph Curry on the Warriors, too. He's a black Wait. man. The Warriors, the guy that owns the what? Warriors. Yeah. Oh,
2: okay, okay, okay. The guy that owns the Warriors.
3: Like you, like, Wait, at the Steph the day, owns the Warriors? I don't know. I was saying Steph was Curry like- played for the Warriors. My bad. I've been drinking. <laughs> I Steph was Curry like, for the Warriors. The, uh, the guy I mean, that he the probably Warriors. should at some point, but. <laughs> the guy that owns the Warriors is a black man. And the same thing happened to them when they won, like, a few years ago. He tried to step, and the guy shoved him. And it's on his uh, his body cam that he shoved him. And he was like, I own this. And he was like, no, 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 no. But yes, I, yeah, that's what I was just trying to say.
2: Yeah. And so that's like that kind of stuff. Like it's, I don't know what it is, but it's like W.E.B. Bois. that was his standing at the beginning. And then he's like, it's not working because at the end of the day, no matter how excellent you are, you are the owner of this team and you are still being stopped from coming on the field to celebrate because they don't see that. All they see is this, so that's that's the issue. But here's another thing about coat. So this is the Christina thing. So I'm a huge Selena fan. Shout out to my Selena fan.
0: I don't oh, know if y'all remember Selena
2: woo, woo, Selena. Selena,
3: Selena,
2: Selena.
3: Selena. <laughs> Selena. I don't know if y'all
2: remember that that scene where they're about to go to monterrey for the first well, Selena's about to go for, to Monterrey for the first time. And her dad's like, eh, your Spanish isn't that good. I don't know if I want you to go. And she's like, dad, I'm Mexican. And he's like, no, you're Mexican-American. And then he goes into the description of being Mexican-American. You have to know about Cristina and Oprah, or he named somebody else. You have to know about this and that. So that's what the code switching because you have to be Mexican, but you also have to be American. You gotta and be so more goes- Mexicans and the Mexicans and more Americans and American, American. Americans. American-Americans both at the same time. It's exhausting. <laughs> Related to something so much in my life where I'm like, yes. So that's like a living single quote Like you have to do both. So I like I love friends. So I watch Living Singles every single episode. And I watch so much of Friends, not every single episode, but I watch Friends. And so like I know both sides. And I was telling Jamaica when we were on this phone call at 1 a.m. <laughs> I don't know what, why, but we, I was talking and I was saying one of my friends, my little friends came over when my mom was doing my hair and she was perming my hair. She was one of my little white friends and she was so like, she didn't understand. She's like, well, is not going to make your hair curly or something like that. And I was like, no, it makes your hair curly. It makes my hair straight. And I was just like in that little, that little thing of, I live in your world. So I know your world, but I also am black. So I know my world. You know your world because you don't live in mine. So you don't have to know my world. And that's like, it's, I'm not mad at that. Like, you don't have to know my world because like, that's not your world. But it's, that's what, like, we know both. And so like that Jordan Peele skit where he is Obama and like, he goes to the white person. He's like, hi, how you doing? How you doing? And he goes like, what's up? How you doing? And so, or hey, mama, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Like, it's, you switch up depending on who you're with.
1: India, I, you have been writing and I need to know, I need to know the list. Did, like, every time I look up, she like, boo, boo.
4: boo, boo. India, India's got us a list. I just,
0: I also love lists. I am a list queen. So I just really appreciate that you're just keeping you guys, tabs over there.
4: Well, part of it is just for me because you guys make so many good points and I don't, I don't want to forget what you guys are saying because. I like the points that you guys have made.
3: I wish no. I would, man. I wish I had, ah damn.
4: <laughs> the points you made energize me. So I like to write them down and internalize them. Um, a couple of things here, so.
1: Yeah, while India's getting her notes together, I just, everyone on this call knows me in all various parts of my life of like basically half decades apart. India's always took us home for, to get us back to a point, to be the smart one, to handle life. Smart and what I've always said, it's always a black woman that makes me better. Case in point, case in point.
4: The smart one. Meanwhile, okay, so Pam and I went to a Magna High School, a Magna High School. There were kids taking AP courses. Pam and I both skated by, like... <laughs> Yo, Vice what magnet? What magnet you know, was, imagine, it was? It was just know,
1: college prep. You remember uh,
4: Holiday Heart pushing that goddamn buggy across the street? That's how Pam and I walked across the stage.
1: <laughs> <at> the
3: <school. laughs> no, that, that movie that oh, y'all the first one I bought my eyes. we was in that thing.
1: Yeah, no. At least, at least they mentioned Southern University, India, like on graduation when they announced all of the schools that graduates were going to yeah they at least mentioned yours they had so little faith that i was going to college and that i would succeed <laughs> our counselor would not put east texas baptist university
0: that's because
4: it wasn't just me going to southern it was another person going <laughs> with me so that's why they mentioned it <laughs> When I say Pam. <laughs> between Pam and I, they remember they had us sit in the back. We had like graduation rehearsal, and I'm sorry, this is a tangent. We had graduation rehearsal, and they had like, these, these are, I gotta pee. This is honors, summa cum laude. And then the others are in the back. And me and Pam was in the back, like, hey! hey, hey. ah, <laughs> oh, Good times.
1: <laughs> and back to our list.
4: Yes. So not necessarily a list here, just a few thoughts I had on tokenization and code switching. Tokenization, many points made there. And I think that part of tokenization, we have to really address the fact that people see Black people in, like, in my thought about tokenization is being Black is essentially living in the second place at a constant rate. You're constantly in this vacuum of your blackness, like you can't necessarily express your whole blackness, but people see you as one way. And I think the best way it's been put to me, um, and if you have not, um, so not a plug for me, but if you have ever, if you ever get your hands on, sorry, I was using this this little, like, I don't know, I think I got this off of a vitamin as a bookmark, but anyways. Hood Feminism by Mickey Randall. Please read it if you have not. It's a great book. And she puts into words so many things that I could not, I, I had the emotion for, but I had no words for. And she puts all of those things into words. And so one of the things she says in her book was that, uh, about she, she's talking about the strong black woman, which is essentially in a, in a way is a token in itself. And she's like, essentially the strong black woman positions black women in a way that they don't need help care or concern it leaves no room for empathy for black women and that's what tokenization does it it dehumanizes you to a point where it's like we see you as this image we want you here as this image because we like the fact that you speak this way and you're wrapped in black skin we like the fact that you you know have this certain talent and you're wrapped in black skin. We like the fact that you can sing and you have black skin. We like the fact that, you know, you can, you're this smart and you have black skin. So we want to put you, you know, let's, let's um, in a, to quote another poet who I just ordered her book, which if you guys, you know, ever, whenever you guys are ready, please order her book, poet Jasmine Manns. She just released her first book, Black Girl Call Home. I pre-ordered it, it's on its way now. Anyways, she had a poem about Kanye West and she was like, oh, we love Kanye. Let's put him all over the stores. And she's like, but you forgot you black boy. You, you're you're acting like it's as if you're you're their black boy, but you forgot you're black boy. And that's what tokenization does. It removes you from the fact that you're only there because you're black, honey. That's it. And to quote the once respected Kanye West, even if you're in a Benz, still a nigga in a coop and so to go back to all of your points about you know this is what this is what they had this there for like they just had us there as this person as this token as this trophy as this you know whatever this doll on the shelf and then that was it they don't see you as you know and I think you, you touched on this Jamaica um, they didn't ask me what I liked they don't ask you you know what your life is like what your interests are you know they don't ask you anything besides what they want from you and that's it. And that's what tokenization does. And that's the damage that tokenization does because I think just like the rest of you guys said, same here. When I was younger, I had this idea about me that that there was something essentially wrong with black people and that only if I performed in a certain way, if I spoke in a certain way, wore my hair a certain way, didn't, I wasn't too loud. I suppressed a certain part of myself and I, I was more you know welcoming and inviting and I smiled every at every chance I had that people would be more receptive to me because it's not it's not other people that think you know black women are angry or whatever it's it's the fact that black women are angry and that's and that's because society and that's and that's no fault of mine for being in that way I was younger and this is how society positions black people that's how they put, they make black people seem if you're not this way if it's and my mom used to say like this, if it ain't white, it ain't right. <laughs> and that's how, and that's she that's, that was her way of like saying that that's how they see things, not her way of saying that's how the world is, but that's how they see you. If it ain't white, it ain't right. And so I was thinking, so how can I, you know, position myself to be more accessible, more, you know, there? You know, how can I speak differently? And that's what tokenization does. It makes you remove parts of yourself. Parts of, you know, just your culture distances yourself so that you can, you know, you think you're assimilating into society when really you're just breaking yourself down to be a part of something that doesn't even want you there. And that's tokenization. On code switching. So, and code switching (sighs) is very interesting because you don't even realize you're doing it. Like even now, I think I personally think that I'm probably talking to you in a way that I would be talking to differently. Like Pam Crystal, if I were talking to Crystal, our friend from high school, I might be speaking differently to her than I am right now. And it's not anything that I do consciously. It's something that I've just done so much that I don't know how to change it at this point. It's a way that I perform so that I can. Get by <laughs> the way that I talk whenever I, there's a way I speak when I'm at work. There's a way I speak when I'm on this call. There's a way I speak when I'm with my family. And code switching goes beyond just the way you speak at times. It's about how you carry yourself, um, the things that you talk about that you like. For example, we were talking about the TV shows. I know that I need to talk whenever I'm with my friends. Whenever I'm on a work conference call, right? And we're referencing certain things as you know something being funny. I might reference the pivot scene from friends, even though I've only seen it once. I'll reference that as a funny, you know, topic, whatever, when we're trying to, you know, do it, you know, we're uncovering an obstacle at work versus the, you know, Pam beating up the big ass rat on vacation, <laughs> in the morning, you know? <laughs> like I'll reference those two things at Different with different groups also code switching because you know that certain groups know what those things are and certain that resonates with certain people and to be black, you have to know those things. It's not a question. You can't not know them because they, people already expect your intelligence level to be lower than to not even be a part of a certain culture. Now it's really bad. So you have to be part of both cultures. And it's not fair. And I and it's not even just Black people. This exists in all ethnicities. You know, Asian Asians have it the same way. You know, Latinx people probably experience the same thing as well. It exists in all ethnicities. And it's just part of being here in America. And it's both a beautiful thing, because in one way I'm very protective of black culture as most people, black people are, we're protective of it. We like the fact that it's exclusive. We don't like the fact that we're dehumanized for having our own culture. So it's an important thing to talk about. Like code switching, is not. there's no shame in it. However, we don't like being dehumanized for the fact that we do have this other part of us, this other world that we exist in, this double consciousness that we have, which. I believe also was that, I think you mentioned Booker T. Washington. I think he also spoke, or is that WB Bois or Booker T. Washington? I can't remember which one spoke of the double consciousness, but that is what code switching essentially is.
3: Yeah. And I just want to read a quote about the Black woman trope as well. Michelle Obama, I love the Obama one, if anybody knows. Michelle Obama's podcast is brilliant.
1: Jamaica, Jamaica, I don't think about the Obamas and not think about you. I just need oh you to know God. that.
4: That's... <laughs> that really touched me, Pam. Jamaica, do you have a picture, a framed photo of the
2: Obamas in your house? Oh, oh my God, yes! done! <laughs> don't! And she had a picture of her and Beyonce together. She, she put her face on somebody else. Come uh-huh. on, this is on my fridge. This is on my refrigerator. This is on my refrigerator.
4: I
1: love that uh, <laughs> i need you to get an updated one no it's so first, so yeah it's it, first family picture uh, it makes sense i do not think about the obamas and not oh think about gosh. oh my god but yes so she in her podcast
3: she talked about like having just like mentees and mentors and and also just about having strong black people black women in your life as a black woman and um, Mich- those a girl on their name, Michelle Norris is one of her really good friends that lived with her in the White House, not lived with her in the White House, that she became friends with in the White House. And she just said, the strong black woman trope is a cement necklace that is supposed to feel like pearls. It's supposed to be a compliment, but what it is, it protect- perpetuates a notion that we can throw anything at you, we can hurl anything at you, and we should just catch it and look elegant doing it. And that is just not true. So I just think that just like really, Thumbed up a lot of what you were saying you know that we're just always supposed to catch it and throw it at us and we're supposed to be strong but we're strong we're angry and we got to be all these things but it's not true that's like you said it's dehumanizing and we we just want to feel human but we feel like we can't because we hold so many things and we have to be so many things and like it takes the context of like was it Paul was it Paul in the Bible, it said, "Be all things to all people." You know, it's like you take that and you throw it at us, and you're like, "I, I want that for just Black women." You know, I want you to be all things, to all people. Black women, y'all do that. As- <laughs> do you think? Do you think? And I, I just feel like, yeah, it's just, all- and even that's even in Black communities that the woman just has to be the strong, whatever to the family. And so, yeah, I all that was good, India. I just wanted to read that quote.
1: I, I love the I intersectionality have- of that womanness in this space, and. Yes, India, please go. I Sorry, just wanted I to claim one, that.
4: More, one more thing that I want to switch, that I want to touch on tokenization. I forgot to mention it, that I wrote down. Um, so when we look at tokenization, we also look at the fact that, there, that there's classism involved in tokenization. Um, there's education level involved in tokenization. Um, there's like, even on this call right now, we all seem to have similar upbringings between Jamaica, myself, and Travelle. We have some, we were raised in predominantly white spaces. We um, kind of, we speak probably the same, I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to walk on a limb and say, we've probably all heard in our life, why you talk like a white girl? We've always been too, too black for the white girls, sometimes too white for the black girls type of situations. And when we look at tokenization. We also to neglect, the, neglect the fact that, there's a whole group of Black women who are deemed ghetto, who are deemed hood, who don't assimilate into you know the white view of what's acceptable, and there's a reason why women like us are tokens and women and Black women who don't you know accentuate their e's and their r's you know and who everybody's like oh they roll their neck or they do this at the other and they and really they're just being themselves and they're not doing anything. That would require them to not be accepted in society, or to move forward in society, or not contribute to society. They they've not shown any lack of intelligence, um, but because white people feel have deemed these attributes to be unacceptable, they're often held back. And I think that that is the side of tokenism that needs to be highlighted. So there's a reason why, you know, even you, Eric, you Pam, and Erica feel comfortable speaking with us versus other women who. don't see who aren't you know positioned as you know in this way basically and it's just there's a reason why um so even this even this in itself in in a way is tokenization
1: and and that's interesting to point out I feel India for the fact that if I think about some of my other black female friends and one in particular that I've talked to and what that looks like and the questions are so different of expectations how I have to show up what that looks like what do I need to do or how I'm gonna do x I can't (laughs) I can't It, it it's so tragic that that idea of tokenization and how you have to show up what that looks like when you show up I was sitting on a corporate phone call this past week and somebody did Ask the question as, as a person of color, regardless as even if you're thinking of a black being a black woman, but as a person of color, how do you claim a space without fear? How do you claim a space without thinking about if you're going to have to show up? And what other do you get to ever claim a space without considering how you're going to show up? We've just always
4: been black. So
1: there's
4: really there's no way that we can't really change it. So
2: we just do what we got to do and keep going. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the question. What do you mean? How do you claim space?
1: Yeah. What does claiming space without fear look like? Like if that?
2: the the
1: like, do you get to show up as a woman? Do you like? You're, you're like always claiming your own space, black. your presence. You're, yeah. Like just where you're showing up in the space, like you're always going to be black and you'll have all recognized that's reality. And that's so scary in my mind. How the fuck, like in this world? I,
3: I think for there's, me, there, there's always fear in that because there's always fear that I'm, and I mean, that comes back to you know, just like self confidence and stuff with everybody with being accepted and whatever. But I remember this summer. I shared a, a Facebook post that talked about that black women can't express themselves without being considered the angry black woman. And this this lady that I work with commenting on it, And she, I, I think she meant to come from a good place. It was like, that's not, she kept trying to twist it back to something that didn't mean. And I feel like that's what always happens. Like, she's like, well, I don't do that. And I was like, no, no matter what it is or what I say or how I say it, there's always just gonna be that, and so like there's there's always that little bit of fear in in stepping into those spaces because, like we said with Selena, I gotta be more Mexicans than Mexicans and more American than Americans, and I gotta be more white than a whites and more black than a black. Like I when I go into those spaces and I go into to my and I go into work every day, like in my hallways and everything, I know. I know what the people I work with, what they believe in, how they believe in it. I bought this phone case intentionally for where I work. Intentionally for where I work because every time someone sees it, their mouths drop. And and it's and for some reason, I've had it for like probably three, four months now, and I still get nervous that when my phone drops, like, like I didn't buy the case my damn self. Like, I like it's just it's just one of those things that like I every every day because and I coach and I coach this team I live in an almost all white space but just like ETBU the athletics is predominantly black and I coach at this team that is I mean the way that people talk about these girls and the way that they praise these girls and they acknowledge these girls they did the same exact thing for me when I was in high school and how they've all turned their backs on me now and how they've all done that it makes me fearful not only for me but for all those girls that are still playing you root for them now you tell those boys around that field you say you support them you say you do this you say you do that these girls right now are trying to get another state championship and i mean tickets were went on sale at noon today they've sold out by two at the alamo gnome in san antonio like for wow. high school girls and and it literally just breaks my heart, the fear that I have for them entering into this world of them not knowing, of them having to be hit with what I had to be hit with after leaving Fairfield. And like of, see Trevely, you got be got us all on the emotional track here. And uh, of, of like, I never wanted to come back, to, come back to Fairfield. Like it took, everything in me not to come back here because of just how how awful people were and and to see and to see those girls play their hearts every day and work their asses off every day and these people just talk about how much they love them and how much they love seeing them play and how much they want to be invested in their lives and all I can think of is In four years, all these girls are going to be graduated. And what are you going to treat them like when they get out of here? Like you've treated me all these years. Like when I was in school, you, you treated me the exact same way you treated these girls. But now that I'm telling you that I'm black and I own that and I have no problem with that and I love that, you won't know part of me. And, or you say you want a part of me, but you won't deal with the bullshit that's inside of you. You'll do just enough to get by so you can make eye contact with me at the store or at school, but you will block me from everything. You will tell your kids not to fool with me. You hate so much that your kids like me. And, and it's just wild to me to see that, like, I go into that every day of going into that school of being like, damn, like, not only did I fear going to these spaces every day and being my true authentic self, but I fear for these girls that when they graduate, that the people who say they love them and and care for them and do all these things for them are not going to feel the same way about them in the future. It's just like those little pictures that says it has like a little black baby and it's a baby there's it's taller then he's a teenager and he's a man and it's like, when do I become a threat, you know, and, and it's just like that, you know, of, this cute little baby and you say, oh my gosh, look at this little rose and this little curly hair and this, set up, whatever. And then you end up to be a rice. Like, you know, like those things, it's just, that that's what makes me fearful every day. And, and I don't think I'm necessarily always fearful because I've just learned to like, it's just is what it is. And I can come home and be upset with myself at the end of the day for not being true to who I am. Or I can be true to who I am every damn day And they just have to work out their own shit. But I am fearful for those girls that I work with every day for their lives being turned upside down and them having to learn like I learned and having to go through all of what I go through. And I hope and pray that's not what they have to go through and that they learn who they are and love who they are now so they won't have to be hit with such bullshit like I was from the people that say they love them.
1: And... I want to just recognize time and I think there's so much more to say. And so if y'all would agree, we have a whole nother conversation to have with all of us. But I definitely, Jamaica, the emotions that you just opened up to the reality that you opened up of us having a platform of listening to experiences, talking about a way of identifying and looking at things. It is March 7th it is 56 years anniversary to bloody sunday and here we are on another fucking bloody sunday
0: Ooh boy this really is heavy content it's um a lot to take in and digest and learn from and i'm really glad that we are taking a pause and you know breaking this content up to be a little more digestible not to make it more digestible for folks but to just to give you time to really sit in it and sit with it me too me included right i I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation and i want to continue learning and really taking it in um, so yeah, I think
1: I'm gonna hand it off to you, Pam. I just first want to pause and thank India, Jamaica, and Travel again for being so willing to share their experience, to go out on a limb to have an honest, authentic conversation about what their life experiences look like, particularly their life experiences as black women and It's This is heavy content uh, for folks that may not often sit with friends of color or other Black women or just other women maybe that have different life experiences. So I'm very thankful that our folks are willing to let us break this up because we want to allow the space for them themselves to pause with letting out all of this. this is it is a lot it's heavy and as we finished this episode with talking about the ickiness of what the real life fear is mm. it's so hard it's so it's not it's not okay that we're still seeing the repeats and that our black friends our people of color are still having to sit in this fear and our educators, our Black educators are worried about their students in this way that Jamaica even was so bold and honest about what it looks like to be herself and to sit in that fear for others. So please just, you all, just as you've listened, pause, pause post this episode, get ready to hear more from these three friends and their experience. But I really hope that you Take in some of the new language. Maybe it's net new to you. Maybe you've heard it before, but really listen to it, the conversation from the experience of these three Black women. And I hope you enjoy it and can't wait to get on with our friends again and to continue to get to learn. And we're all learning and unlearning together. It takes time, but there's no excuse not to hear and sit with other folks' experiences. Yes.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you, India, Jamaica, and Travel. I can't wait to continue this conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Blunt and Curious. You can find us on Instagram at The Blunt and Curious Pod. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe,
1: rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your support, ratings, and reviews help others find us as well. And again, thank you so much for taking time to go on this journey with us.